Welcome everyone to Session 1 at the Rink Shrinks. I'm Brian Yandel. Some of you may know me as Rossi Beach, Officer Ross, or one of my other nicknames. When I was approached a couple months ago about doing the Rink Shrinks podcast, the first person I thought of to join me as my fellow shrink was my pal Mike Motto. Mike's the pride of Avon, Massachusetts. Grew up playing his youth hockey in the Boston area. Mike started their academy and then went on to have an amazing college career at Boston College, where his senior year, he was awarded the Hobie Baker Award as the nation's best hockey player. Mike then went on to have a 13-year pro career, playing in over 300 NHL games with the New York Rangers, New York Islanders, New Jersey Devils, Boston Bruins, Florida Panthers, and Calgary Flames. Mike has been coaching in the Massachusetts area for his son and daughter's team since his playing career came to an end. He's also a scout for the Chicago Blackhawks. We have a great session planned for you today. We'll be focusing on the return to the rinks during the pandemic. And we have a very special guest in Florida Panthers Center, Brian Boyle, who's joining us in studio for a chat about NHL life in the bubble, as well as his career path to the NHL. Well, thanks for the intro, Brian. So again, my fellow rink shrink here, working alongside Brian Yandel. He grew up just outside of Boston in Milton, Mass., played for youth hockey with the Social Kings, uh, 97 Quebec Pee Wee champion, which is a, a phenomenal feat with a group of guys in the area playing with and against. Awesome. Kind of a big deal there. It is a big deal. Two-time All-American at UNH, two-time All-Hockey East, UNH All-Decade team, no big deal. <laughs> played in the East Coast League, the AHL. He is uh, a former director of the Boston Junior Terriers Club in the EHF, coaches three teams at the youth level, so he sees a lot at uh, these ranks, parents, coaches, players. Again, not only a great player, but also a great person. So I'm very fortunate to be working alongside you, Brian. I'm looking forward to having a great show today. You know, Mots and I have discussed hockey for quite a bit since we were both playing and, you know, professionally and, and at the college level. Mike's a couple of years older than me, but he was always a guy that I looked up to as kind of a mentor and a guy that, you know, I looked for as advice as a, as a young player skating in the summer and that type of stuff. So we're super excited to be uh, working together with the hopefully entertain you guys. Yeah, not only uh, being a civil servant, being Boston's finest, one of the best toe drags out there, so... We get out on the ice, go D to D, snap it, last guy back, toe drags. Throwing sauce all over the place. Yeah, so as far as uh, hockey, getting out on the ice with Bri is always uh, great, and this is a, a great opportunity to help educate uh, not only parents, players, but you know, also just to get the word out there and have some good guests. We're at that time of the, the year where hockey season's around the corner. Mass Hockey was fortunate enough to do a, a Zoom call where they discussed the ins and outs of the return to the rink during this pandemic, which has obviously been a whirlwind for all of us. The good news is is at least these kids can go back to play. There is going to be some rule changes. It's going to be a much different environment than what we're used to and what, what we grew up playing in, but, um, you know, at least the kids can play. It's a great thing. You know, there's a little bit of a state of the union uh, last night with the address of getting back to a, a bit of a moderate risk category for playing for the kids. It's a... Uh, it's a step in the right direction. You know, there are some rule changes and some modifications, some restrictions to what the, the kids will be able to do. But ultimately, it's a, a step in the right direction to get the kids going on the ice and uh, get back to some normalcy. You know, some of the things that were discussed last night, uh, different rules. And, and, you know, I think we're here to talk about the pros and cons of them. Uh, wearing a face mask on the bench, wearing, you know, centers having to wear a face mask uh, while taking a face off, coaches wearing face masks. The new norm is uh, is definitely, it's not normal. One of the, the two best things that I thought we, you know, we bring to the table is being locker room guys. And basically, there's going to be a heck of a lot more home dresses out there than, than there are guys hanging in the locker room like we used to, you know. Intangibles is what I got 
signed for for my last three years. And GM, front office people were like, why did we sign Mott's? And Great shower guy. Yeah, they couldn't really put their finger on it, but they're like, oh, intangible. So it's like that kind of unknown. But no, seriously, the locker room is one of the biggest uh, things that, you it's know. It's a sacred place. It is. And, and the kids that really enjoy the locker room, the camaraderie, mowing each other's grass, just giving each other uh, the business and then taking it onto the ice and, and, and really cultivating that environment is, is one of the biggest things that hockey provides, uh, not only youth, but, you know, adults, you know, you guys playing men's league hockey and staying till two at night and telling stories. And, you know, that's what it's all about. So that's one thing that my wife always says to me playing men's league. It's like, how come your game started at eight and, and you don't get home till two thirty, three o'clock in the morning? That's that's kind of a problem, you know, yeah, but stretching, rolling out. There's a lot to t- there's a lot to break down. We had to talk about each shift. We had to talk about what was said on the ice by the other team. You know that turnover that I had and this, that, and the other thing. You know. Yeah. So as far as the uh, you know the development of young players, you know there is some positives. There's some negatives. As far as positives with the new restrictions here, I think one of the biggest things is is the removed checking from um, from the bantam level. You know, bantam on up. Obviously, it's not a big deal at the younger levels and at, in the female game. But having no check hockey now at Bantam, Midget, uh, U18, U16 is a major change for these kids. I mean, we grew up playing, at least myself and I know you, you know, in the Metro Boston Hockey League, where we started checking at Mites and Squirts. You know, from the time I started playing for the Kings, we were using our bodies. And, and I think one of the big things with that is, you know, I was never the most physical player, but I at least, you know, knew how to play the game with my head up. I at least knew how to avoid contact, give a hit, take a hit. I knew if I had some monster coming down, dump the puck in on me, I knew how to how to get there safely and, and you know, avoid getting ran through the boards, you know? Yeah, and that's a, a, a really big part of the game. You know, there's a the positives, though, would be there's more skating, the emphasis of skating and skills. Look at the NHL level and how fast it is and how skilled it is, and there's a real trickle-down effect from uh, that level to, to the youth level. So, you know, a positive of not taking the body or, you know, the emphasis will be on skating and taking angles, as we talked about, using yeah. good sticks and good body and stick position. A negative as far as that, um, you know, the responsibility of the puck carrier. He can go through the middle of the ice with his head down, put himself in compromised positions. So when checking does come back around, we hope that these players don't continue to do that. And, and, and you know, you could you could see some, some nasty injuries that well, way. Well, look at, you know, last night in that Bruins game, the third period, the way that Charlie McAvoy's check on Jordan Stahl changed the game in, in that third period. I mean, Jordan Stahl's no small guy. Mm-hmm. The, he's, he's a monster, and McAvoy hit him with a great body check, and it partially changed the momentum in that game for the Bees, and they were buzzing, you know what I mean? They were on fire, and, you know, that's what a body check can do for the game. You can remember, obviously, the days of Scott Stevens running guys over through the middle have changed, but it's you know it's changed the game quite a bit, and, and you hope that these guys, the bantam and midget level, just don't get too comfortable with with skating with their heads down through the middle of the ice. Exactly what you're saying, the emotion and the momentum swings that can happen through a good clean body check, and it's kind of like that physical you know, play that physicality gets you into a game. Sometimes you can be fighting the puck. You can, you know, be throwing pizzas and you just, you're just not really, uh, large, large cheeses up the middle. <laughs> you're just not dialed in and uh, a good puck battle, you know, a good open ice hit can really change that and get you back on track. That's one of the negatives that I would say is, is coming out of this with the restrictions of not, not checking at those levels. You know, one of the positives though, with there isn't body contact is, is these guys, you know, maybe it will keep kids in the game longer. I think USA hockey, 
Kentucky, you know, has already seen, you know, a spike in their numbers at the older levels because they stopped the checking at the peewee level and bumped it to bantam. So maybe now, it, it, you know, that, that changes. So that could be one positive, you know? Yeah, keeping kids interested. It's a great game, you know, like I said, like that locker room, that culture, you know, there's life lessons that you learn outside of the game, uh, in the game that you can apply to outside of the game. The less injuries, you yeah. know, less injuries that, uh, you know, you have kids running around and, you know, possibly trying to hit when they you don't have good technique. and. Right. You know, so no more tone motivator cuffs when the uh, you know body contact starts coming into effect too. You know what I mean? Yeah, the Brian Yandel flu. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm just uh, <laughs> I'm a little sick. Uh, he's gonna come come yeah. over here. I'm afraid I'm gonna be playing against this absolute six foot two missile tonight, and <laughs> gotta take this one off. You know. Getting back to play though, I, I mean, my son's 15, and you know he's excited to just get going. Yeah. So again, a step in the right direction here, and you know we applaud the. The people of mass hockey to, to take those steps and put in the appeal and, and fight for the kids to get back going in a, in a structured environment. So Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing is is we want these kids to play. I mean, we all got sick. I mean, I, I, I couldn't even stand all the Fortnite and all the rest of the nonsense video games that were taking place in my house throughout the spring. And it was a killer to have these kids sitting around the house doing nothing. So I think we definitely applaud mass hockey for stepping up, decreasing the risk in our game and getting these kids back out and playing. And I think it falls on a lot of the parents and coaches now is let's use common sense, right? So we can, we can continue this. Let's make sure that little Johnny's not drooling over somebody else's water bottle, not picking his nose and, and shaking hands. Him. Yeah, yeah. That type of stuff's got to be uh, nipped in the bud. One other positive is that there's only one parent allowed in the rank. Yeah, that's yeah. a... That's yeah. a bonus. W- with a mask on. I was saying maybe they should, like, if they put the glass up, too, and tint it so the kids can't see their parents in the stands, that'd be a bonus, too. Yeah, so no more hand signals. No more, yeah, no more move it, got to shoot that and all that type of stuff. So that is a positive. Yeah, I played with a kid growing up, and, uh, you know, he would look up in the stands, and if he had a bad shift, the dad had a newspaper, and he would put it up in front of his face. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way to play. The one parent role and, you know, just trying to, you know, get some home dresses, you know, there's some distancing in the locker room. And, but ultimately, you know, we're back uh, with the kids and that's the most important thing and we'll see how it goes, how it shakes out. But, you know, to your point, everyone doing their part will allow coming back to the ranks and, and we're excited to be returning to the ranks. Just being able to go on the uh, on the ice and coach these kids and, and be around the kids, we all enjoy and love, you know what I mean? That's the best thing. And as coaches, we love making an impact on these kids' lives and teaching them how to be better hockey players. Mass Hockey is trying to do a good job of, of communicating uh, with the powers that be about right now a center does have to wear a mask during a face-off. The referee is going to be wearing masks. The referee is going to have to control the game and take charge of it a little bit more. One of the biggest issues that I have with that is, and this is not a knock on referees, but we have so much hockey around here that a lot of times I'm doing a, a high-level squirt or peewee game coaching, and you know I have a kid that's a year or two older than him that's referring, and it's difficult for a kid to take charge of a game of, of kids that are only a year or two younger. Quicker whistles and things like that are going to be a bit of an issue. I think Kevin Kavanaugh and the guys at Mass Hockey, Kevin Donovan is the referee-in-chief. I think he's doing a great job of educating all these referees, you know, make sure that they do a good job with it. That's a really uh, big issue with the, the referees. That I remember <clears throat> being able to coach my son when I stopped playing, and, you know, the kids care so much. So when a ref is out there for two to three games and not really skating to get into position, missing a call, and it leads to a goal, it's very difficult for them to kind of bounce back from. And with these new rules, it's, it's going to be even that much more important for them to have a good feel for the game and you know I, I would have just talked to the, the ref and be like listen I know you're out here you're, you're doing your job but 
Can you just work to get into position so you can make the bad call? You know, exactly. It's, exactly. You know, just, just a little effort. You know, just a little effort. <laughs> Give me a little something. Yeah, hey, come you on, know man. what I mean? I know you're not getting paid uh, 75 bucks an hour here, but you're at least getting a few bucks. Throw me a bone. Everybody's got to kind of take this for what it is. And, and again, that common sense factor, right? And the good news is hopefully the normal parent says to the crazy parent, hey, why don't you sit this one out today? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And, and, and you stay home. Yeah, you'd be a healthy scratch from the uh, rink. Uh, the rink shrink. You got rink shrink today. Yeah, you got rink shrink. You're all set. So a lot of hockey being played. A lot of hockey being played. What are your thoughts on it? Well, it's great when there's NHL hockey to be watched midday. I'm not being as productive at work, but it's it's amazing, you know, just to see the level of play. And this is something that experiencing it firsthand, you know, that level of uptick uh, in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. So you're getting everyone's best shift because the first shift of the game could mean the difference in a game. Most players are playing how the coach actually wants them to play. Uh, it's very difficult to sustain that level of play for a full season, but ultimately you can dial it in. You have these elite players playing to their, you know, their capabilities, and there aren't many five-on-five scoring chances consistently. Guys are willing to block shots. It's tough to get pucks to the net, and people defend with a little bit more jam. Block shots thing, I mean, I mean, I was captain of the old Flamingo, you know what I mean? Huh. But the guys not know that pucks hurt? It's crazy. <laughs> like, you watch that Columbus series, I think it's, what's his team man's name? Savad there? I mean, the guy just eats pucks. It's eats. crazy. Yeah. It's absolutely insane. It's, it's, I mean, I know equipment and, and all that stuff has gotten better, but, I mean, these guys are literally just trying to eat pucks. It's, it's crazy. Yeah, especially when you got a one-timer coming off the flank and he's coming out smiling at the puck coming at him. You know, yeah. he's just ready to... Sacrifice the body, and that's that's just a, a testament to the tality that it takes to win, especially at playoffs. So specialty teams, though, and back to the the chances, like they're they're so much more valuable when you can kill a penalty, score, and take take advantage of the chances on the power play. You see the teams right now in the NHL uh, having some success uh, that they have their good specialty teams going, and that's one of the best things when you have the high end skill and they can they can make it hurt on the power play. So yeah, the special teams is a, a crazy how important it is. I mean, I think one of the other things that we're seeing to to echo your points. I mean, being able to turn on the TV at noontime or three o'clock and catch a game is just incredible, and it's definitely a little different. But I think the NHL has done a pretty good job of you know having the noises and getting crowd and, and goal horns and stuff like that involved, where it, it makes it feel like there are some people there. For the most part, most of these guys are healthy. They had that layoff, so I think the quality play is that much better because almost everybody, although they had to work to kind of get in shape a little bit, but you see the normal Bergeron having a broken arm and whatever else he's playing through, probably not as big of a factor yet as they get later on in the playoffs. Obviously, those nagging injuries will happen. Usually, you get your 82-game regular season, and these guys are all, they're just banged up. Yeah, they're able to recharge and push the reset button over that shutdown. And, you know, it was a little sloppy at first coming back, but guys have really turned it on and it's it's been quality hockey in my opinion seeing the level of compete and that's one thing that I was curious to see like how do you generate that excitement that a crowd can but the internal self-motivation for each player and the coaching staff being able to manage it a couple fights early on you yeah. know it just gets the boys going and you feed off of that type of stuff and um, it's really cool to watch quality self-motivated elite athletes playing with no fans and obviously the the last change so it does matter who the home team is yeah so those matchups when you're the home team you're able to put out whoever you want to defend or or offensive chances and 
and that's uh, you know going back and forth like it would in a regular four out of seven series. So home ice advantage. It's definitely a factor. Yeah, it goes into the coaching and and kind of the game planning and the strategy and the matchups that coaches uh, coach for. Yeah, and that's that's huge. So th- that's the game within the game. And as you watch, it's pretty cool to see the better coaches take advantage of that. I like Vegas. Vegas mm. is a, a team that can play with pace and defend. They have two two great goalies. That's the the huge factor in the playoffs. But I love that Shea Theodore. Yeah, he's a stud. Twenty seven on the back end. He does everything well, and he's kind of like the driving, uh, the heartbeat on the back end, and can kill penalties and and run the power play. And super gifted player that doesn't get a ton of notice. Yeah. But he he's starting to come around, like with you know some of the the votes and and some of the the media giving him some attention. But you know when you watch a game, I really like to key in on him and yeah. those small yeah. little plays that you're really good at. You know you're in the corner, you're using the middle of the ice, small little release areas that uh, he uses. So the bees have actually. Picked it up a bit. Yeah. You know, they're yeah. a veteran group. They were kind of playing possum there in the in the round robin. And so Yeah, they look good though. They they came on uh they came on strong and I mean there's just so many talented young players in the league now. You look at guys like Quinn Hughes and Seth Jones and Zach Warensky and, and guys like Matt Grizzlick and, and these guys are just just young studs that can skate. I mean as far as uh questions that are asked to me by my my kids, they're like, Why aren't you still playing? I'm like, God, the game passed me by a long time ago, <laughs> girls. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like, don't worry about it. I could break down. I'm, I can be an armchair quarterback for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And imagine my conversations if uh, looking at the minimal career that I had compared to you. But it's a fun time to watch. And, and you hate to bring this up. But, you know, Tuka Rask was one of your teammates. And, and, and obviously, we're positive guys here. But what, what do you think about the status of Tuka? And- you know, obviously a blow to the Bruins. But ultimately, there's there's more than the game. He wanted to get back to his family. He's a great guy. He's a friend of mine, and you have to respect his his wishes to uh, get back to what he uh, values. And again, as a fan, some people might not realize that these people, these athletes are still human beings yeah, and have families. Yeah, they're humans, exactly. So it, yeah, it is a blow to the bees, but they have one of the best goaltenders, the backup goaltenders in the league, and uh, I think they're in good shape. Again, they have a veteran group that knows how to win, knows how to win in tight situations, and they're a team. That's the thing that has been stressed. I know Bruce Cassidy has been talking about it, and yeah, I mean, I wish Tuka the best. I mean, he's just his priorities are where they are, and we'll see how it shakes out for him. Yeah, I mean, obviously hockey's his career path, and and he's made a, a good living for his family. But he's he's a father. He's got three young kids. He's I believe one of them's a newborn at home, and you've just you've got to respect his decision. We are very passionate fans. I just hope that they can recover and kind of look beyond that because I know there's so many guys like a Jerry from Norwell that barely played high school hockey at Quincy High who's going to be calling into Felger and Mazin three years from now bashing Tuker and he quit on his team and there's more to life than than hockey and unfortunately for the fan he put his family first but I think you have to respect that decision. Oh yeah absolutely and as a player it's it's tough you got to block that type of stuff out but you know again you are human and you do respect the fans that come to the games and support you and but there's some yahoos out there that won't won't get it and will bash him you know but ultimately he made the decision and he's going to live with it but as a team you know moving forward that's that's the one thing that they have to do and just set their sights on the Stanley Cup and 
take it a game at a time. All right, and you are listening to The Rink Shrinks with Mike Motto and Brian Yandel. Motto's obviously crazy time, and just to bring it back, we talked about some NHL stuff for a bit, but uh, a couple of people have asked me some questions in the last few days here. Is it okay if mom and dad show up to the rink and, and one of them goes in the rink and they switch halfway through? There's some different scenarios that obviously could be at, at, at play. What are your thoughts on that? I would see no problem with that as just as long as there's one parent in the rink, you know, one in, one out. It's like being at a bar, crowded bar with a bouncer. Who's going to police it? But at the end of the day, we have a family. So if they do one in, one out, that's I, I think that would be no problem. Yeah. Just as long as one parent's in the, uh, in the rank at the time. They talked about contact tracing and all that type of stuff, and I think people are going to have to sign in and all that type of stuff. So we could probably do, like, set a timer and then tag your it type of thing, maybe high-five on the way out the door or right. throw an elbow at each other chest or something. Bump. Yeah, chest bump between you and the old lady, especially if, like, your son scores or something, you know what <laughs> I mean, and he knows about it. Like, that could be the cue to, for you to bounce and your wife go in type of thing. You and know? then maybe he gets real superstitious, and he's like, hey, I don't want mom in here or I don't want you in here. I, I don't play well. Maybe we should do as coaches we could pick the parent too like we could be like eh sorry dad you're a lunatic and we're gonna let mom come in for this family you know yeah. what I mean? we could do like a draft yeah dad you, know? you can leave the member's jacket out in the car <laughs> the starter you could, jacket you could leave leave your leather bomber outside and, yeah uh, and hang out there and you're good though at least you know pack a cooler for the parking lot we'll be all set maybe get the grill going yeah like the old thursday night league days yeah post game <laughs> so yeah a lot of uh players are going to new hampshire and connecticut out out of state for some tournaments my son was offered to, to play in a couple tournaments and i just chose to keep him on the ice we were getting on the ice a couple times a week so there was really no need to to chase it kind of go outside the boundaries of what masses had, had laid out for a plan for youth sports so that was just uh my take on it would, would uh yeah would i mean it's uh, again if 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 the governors are going to allow it i mean i i guess it is what it is you know what i mean i know um some family friends of ours they went down to a tournament i believe it was in nashville and brought their whole family down and everything and all of a sudden they got the memo like oh there's only one parent allowed in the rank no siblings all that type of stuff so they had family vacations kind of planned around these youth hockey tournaments and and dad had to sit at the bar while mom watched type of thing you know uh, what so, yeah sorry about that one but that's something that we can't comment on. Um, obviously, as the season gets going here, I know we have teams in our leagues that are, that, that play outside the state, and, and there's going to be tournaments that are going to be moved if New Hampshire stays open. You can see a lot of families going up there and playing, you know what I mean, and playing in different tournaments. That's just the nature of the beast come hockey season. Personally, I know some, some guys that own some organizations and a real uh, way to make money. That's a big uh, issue, and that's why some people are really trying to make it work, go out of state and, and be able to provide a tournament for some of these players and parents that were really looking and ultimately it was a juggling act but hopefully it get back it gets back to normalcy here and we can have a season and well get... the other thing too up there is the checking factor like if massachusetts is banned checking what do we do in new hampshire you know what i mean i was talking to a program director recently about that like do they do new hampshire do they follow their own rules because that's a different i guess ultimately it's not you know usa hockey is the governing body but each state has their own directors that they fall under and stuff like that yeah, so live free or die live free or die i mean i was just up in New Hampshire last weekend. I mean, guys are bombing around with no helmets on on their motorcycles, and we're worried about mass on on guys taking face-offs. The priorities are a little different here, you know? Uh, exactly. Some issues that will get ironed out in the in the long run, but uh, ultimately we're, we're back playing, and kids will be fired up to get back with their teammates and get on the ice, practice, and, and play some games. 
Coming up next, we have our first guest of the Rink Shrinks Hockey Podcast, Brian Boyle, current Florida Panthers center. Had a long career in the NHL, so we're fired up for that interview. Our guest today is Brian Boyle. We're happy to have him on the uh, podcast here. Brian is from Hingham, Mass. First-round draft pick, number 26 overall to that Los Angeles Kings. Has played 805 games in the league. Has had ton of experience at the youth level with uh, the craziness that we've been talking about. I'd like to hear about that. But such a valuable player for uh, not only Boston College for four years, but went on to play for L.A., New York Rangers, Tampa, New Jersey, and now Florida. So we're extremely excited to uh, have him in studio here and have him talk about his experiences. Uh, Brian Boyle, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, bud. Psyched to have you here, Bri. Uh, welcome. And, uh, you know, obviously we wish we weren't chatting you yet here. But, uh, it would have been nice to see you and uh, you and the rest of the Panthers still going, but we're happy to have you. Uh, how was the bubble? Was it a, you know, it was was that pretty, experience? Yeah, it was pretty cool, actually. It was uh, obviously, it was unique. There's nothing like what we, what we did other than maybe... Um, you guys did like the satellite things where you went away and you saw all the other teams i mean that's the best way i could put it because everything was pretty regimented like you were like you were a younger person to keep the kids out of trouble so to speak and uh (laughs) we we had i mean even the where we walked and how we got there was was uh marked for us and but it was it was cool at um any flow hockey in the halls no we didn't but we did uh we did, yeah. There was a lot of ping pong. I brought a putter. We were trying to, we smashed some golf balls to see if we could make it all the way down the hallway. <laughs> <laughs> that got a little dicey. We started, uh, I think we, I think we put a hole in our assistant GM's door. <laughs> so that was fun. He looked at us like, what's, you know, how old are you guys? But, you know, it was, it was just hockey and hanging around with the guys. So it actually was, was pretty sweet because, I mean, everybody's missing their family, but, um, to kind of dumb it down to just just the game and being around the guys, I, I thought it was a pretty cool experience. There was no like your fourteen family members calling you for tickets and all that type of stuff. No. You know what I mean? So that that kind of makes yeah. life a little easier. I know, yeah. I know. With my brother, it's the same way. It's it's whether with especially when you come back to Boston and stuff with the ticket situation and all that stuff. It's complete chaos. But you guys just able to focus in on hockey yeah. must be. Must be pretty fun in that respect. Probably like being trapped out in Marlboro with the rinks out there or exactly. something. Yeah, with, I mean, with just all hockey teams, you know what it. I mean? No parents. Yeah, and you see them on the hallway. The guys you're playing against, you walk right by them like three or four times a day. It was it was kind of weird, but I mean, you send a message to anyone? A little bump in the hallway? No, any because no, COVID, man. You yeah, <laughs> stay away. <laughs> Six foot, like yeah. You just giving them the rotten retina on the white walk. Yeah, back, just the little stink guy. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Was it weird playing with no fans, though? Or can you tell? Like, what was the... I mean, obviously you can tell, right? Yeah, you can. It was uh, It was weird It was weird because they were pumping in some noise. You'd try and, and talk to a ref like this far away. And, and I don't know, the sound was just echoing. You couldn't, you couldn't actually hear the ref. So it was yeah. almost louder in that way. There wasn't that... I don't know. But the, the atmosphere with the fans is missed, but... You get used to it pretty quick because what's on the li- what's on the line is you know it's it's playoff hockey so you just gotta you have to really I think get excited about that and I think we all did everybody was excited I mean it's like a, I, I I said it was like a road game in the playoffs you score a goal and you don't hear anything that's usually good but um, I mean after that yeah it was just it was exciting but you know certain times in the game where a goalie makes a couple big saves you usually hear the crowd get going and stuff like that but I mean we missed that but after the first game I think it was fine. 
Yeah, yeah we were talking about, you know, it was interesting to see, like, you know, you guys being self-motivated, you know, to get out there and play playoff hockey. And there was a couple of fights early on and whatnot, get the boys going. And, and it's, it's pretty cool because, you know, I'm playing men's league now and I get jacked up, you know, to... To, to make a good pass or defend yeah. hard, yeah. a little scrum in the corner. For me, I, I got hurt before, so I didn't know what was going to happen. And I'm, and I'm 35, so I was just if there's a chance we can play, it's going to be awesome. And we we had the chance. So and the long layoff probably helped too. Like I don't know about an 82 game season. I, I feel for the guys in baseball right now because how many teams are really have a shot to win? So they, I mean, they get dialed in, but it's probably tough to see nobody in the crowd for them. They, the, the NHL did a good job kind of blocking it off, and with all the extra screens they put up, it was, I think they did as best they could. It was it was, uh, it was was nice to see some of that stuff. Well, yeah, the screens actually don't look that bad, like on covering the stands and all that. It, it, it makes it look a little different where it's, yeah. it kind of distracts you from like the no crowd type of stuff. You brought up some baseball. I heard a story back in your Legion days. So Coach Vin Murray, yeah. super guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian played pitcher in third base for the, the Hingham Legion. And you had to go to the L.A. Kings rookie camp. Yeah. And it was a playoff district championship against Duxbury. So Coach Murray uh, is getting telephone calls from L.A., from from Bry Boyle, uh, checking in to see how the team is doing. Hopefully they can make it through so they can he can get back and play in the championship game. But that just goes to show you, you know, a multi-sport athlete, great person, checking in on the um, checking in on the team and some of the. Uh, you know, other things that he was saying was you and uh, Nick DeVito were the one-two combo. <laughs> no one wanted to pitch to you guys, but you protected each other in the lineup. And, you know, taking BP before games, they'd have to go search for balls over the fence because they were running out of balls for the game. <laughs> so, again, multi-sport athlete here, and, and that's something that we want to stress to some of these younger kids. It's it's tough to be sports-specific, and, you know, you had been drafted and playing at a high level with the hockey but yet still playing baseball so can you mind talking about your baseball and how uh how you kind of balanced it and you know yeah I, I just I loved it it was uh my dad kind of it was his probably his favorite sport and he I mean, he played hockey and, and soccer and baseball at Quincy High and he he uh he saw that I was decent at it I, I, I liked it a little bit when I was younger and I, I kind of wasn't as interested I was so hockey obsessed and then I I think I hit my first home run when I was 11, and then that was it. There's, there's nothing better than oh, jacking squaring it up. Oh, I'm still waiting for my first. <laughs> first one, Grand Slam at uh, Haley Field in Hingham. It was uh, Little League. It was great. And then that summer, I was on that, that travel team, and it was just it was so much different than hockey just because you're out in the sun, you're playing. We had a good team, and, and I really just I enjoyed it. I loved it. I watched the – I was, I mean, obviously watched the Sox, and I think uh, – you know that that Legion team was fun. We had some kids from Hull too. So, but you mentioned Nick DeVito. That kid hit the ball. I mean, drafted he, by the Reds. He's six eight. Yeah. You know, so he's playing short. I'm playing third. Not very often. You're the you're the oh, second was, tallest guy. It, it was on the team. great. It was great. But we had some fun. It was like it's just it was different than hockey, but it's the same. It's competitive. It's and that's the thing about playing a lot of sports. You see, I mean, I think it prevents injury. You know, you stay active as a kid. It's not like going out lifting, doing speed ladder and all that stuff. You just go play. You play different things, hand-eye. You know, you're running. You're going side to side instead of just that skating motion all the time. And You're an athlete. But, yeah, but lucky for me, I, I mean, I really, really liked it. And my dad was a – he knew the game. He taught it to me. So – and he spent a lot of time just in the backyard playing catch because that was, that was a ton of fun. So that was – 
that kept me interested in it. I got to give him a lot of credit, obviously, because I mean, she's for everything. But uh, for that, it was it was definitely just uh, a seed that he kind of planted. And even when I wasn't, I mean, I enjoyed it a little bit, and then I really started to love it. And he let me do it. Yeah. That's great. That's awesome. Yeah, I know you, you you had a future in hockey, but I was told that you could have had a future in baseball too. And yeah, maybe uh, as a scout. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Utility player. Yeah, hey, why not? Brian, bring it back to like your youth a little bit. I know obviously you come from a big family and maybe you want to talk about that quick. When did you start skating and all that type of stuff? And when did you really get focused on hockey? I know growing up you were a, a year and a half or so younger than me. I remember you playing for the Kings. Obviously I was in 83, you were in 84. We'd share the ice together and all that type of stuff back in the old St. Seb's days. Yeah. But just talk to us a little bit about that and, and, and when you became really focused on the game and, you know, obviously we just talked about you being a multi-sport athlete, which we feel, Mott's and I feel so important about, but uh, your kind of career path growing up in, uh, in Hingham and being part of such a big family that you, you come from. Yeah, it, it's, uh, well, my, my family growing up, it was probably unique because I was the seventh born and then we had six more after me. So, <laughs> but when I was younger, my older brothers played, my dad, got them on the ice I'd go to the rink and then one day he tells me this I don't remember but there was hand-me-down stuff and I was you know I was bigger my whole life so I fit into my older brother's stuff you know younger than him he just got new gear and I threw it on in the basement I came up one day I think I was two or, or three and I told my dad I wanted to come to the rink and skate and they had you know they had a practice and at the C rink in Hingham there was a um, kind of just an open skate yeah, and he said I went on and I just skated, and so my mom tells a funny story that like we had all these VHS kids tapes that all the kids would sit and watch because she had too much going on probably, <laughs> and I would just kind of lose my mind. The original would... iPad. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, so, so one day there was just uh, like Nesson was on. And I was just screaming goal, 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 or something like that. And and then she just kind of kept it on. And that was like first time I ever sat still and was quiet. I was watching, <laughs> I was watching Bruins highlights. So I, I mean, I don't know how it started, but it was it's been there since I can remember. I loved. I mean, I've always loved the game. I've always loved just watching it. Um, and you know, tons of credit to my folks because they kept putting me in and letting me do it. And I don't know how in the world they did it, but they let me do it, and they let me do a lot of it. Like you said, playing metro hockey, playing town hockey, and I loved it. And I couldn't get enough, so they kept putting me in. Yeah, that's some of that we're stressing to the younger kids about being a student of the game, not just watching highlights and the cool stuff, the skill <laughs> stuff that some of these players are able to do, but watching situational tendencies you know, and learning from the top players, but not the ones that make the highlights. You know, If you're a winger watching what you know, how they get the puck out, how they position themselves as a D going back for a puck, you know, support, all that stuff. But you, you pick that stuff up when you're watching. You know, yeah, games I, I and, would watch my older brothers and, and I'd right. see, you know, they they weren't the best, but they had kids on their team that were really good and crafty. I'd see the kid who scored a goal. I'd watch him for a little while and it wasn't kind of, I would shoot pucks in my basement all the time because I, I liked doing it and it was the only quiet place in the house where my sisters weren't yelling at me. <laughs> but I would just, you know, it was I'd watch how that kid played and how he made moves. He'd bank it off the boards to himself. I remember seeing that at Pilgrim and saying, oh, I didn't know you could do that. And then I'd try it and it was, you know, that's just, it was the fun part of the game. It's all over the ice. 
Yeah. From what your career has become and you've adapted as obviously when I used to play against you in, in high school at St. Sebastian's and at Boston College, obviously you were a, a super talented, skilled player and was the guy running the power play and all that type of stuff. And then, you know, now as an 800 game NHL career that you already have, you've adapted and became the guy that's killed penalties and won important faceoff draws. And I mean, it felt like there was about a 10 year period where every time you turned on the on the TV in the playoffs, you were involved in those games, uh, which was amazing to watch. Yeah, and going back to that, it was, you know, you're at BC, and I don't know whose call it was, but you played D. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if L.A. was the one, you know, kind of pushing it or whatnot, but you did an unbelievable job playing D as being a forward your whole career and then going back to D, and I know they, they tried you on D, you know, when you first came yeah. out, and... Um, but to be able to have that versatility and, and, and play at a high level, uh, both positions, it probably gives you a better perspective. That, exactly. I mean, I couldn't figure out the gaps, really, in pro hockey. That's, uh, <laughs> yeah, that was, that Speed's was, pretty quick, That right? was a tough. Well, they wanted me to get so close. I said, they're just going to go right by me, yeah. and they did. <laughs> but that was, that was fun. Yeah, but, so I don't, I don't know if that was L.A. pushing it. Um, I, thought, I did some development camps at D, so I think uh, Jerry decided that, we had a couple injuries, so I went back and played, and I oh man, it was the most fun hockey ever. Right. And you guys know your offensive defense from both of you. I remember watching both of you too, and we would go to, we would go to the Super Eight. We would go to, um, you know, the New England stuff and watch watch you, and and then obviously at BC with you, we watched you a ton. I didn't catch you in high school much. Oh. I'm sorry, lots <laughs> yeah. of a few uh, years it, older. Yeah, that's that's a while ago. But it was fun, man. You guys had the puck the whole game, so I was like, that that seems like I could I could probably do that. I never yeah. skated backwards when I was playing D. I just back checked. But yeah, and the games <laughs> in front of you, you can just wind kind of, it up. Yeah, it's it's fun. You push the puck and join, or yeah. you can lug the mail. No, I say that to to the you know young kids that I coach now is like, you know you. When you're back and you you start playing D as a, at a young age, you're the it allows you to see the whole game, keep it in front of you, and visualize things and make plays. And you're the you know you're kind of the quarterback back there. You know what I mean? And it, it's a you know it's a fun perspective of the game. I like you know the kids to play back and forth and and, and do a little bit of a both. Um, but it's Huge. important to 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 be able to play uh, both sides of the puck and have fun and, and and score goals and make plays. You know. But that's what I mean. Yeah, exactly. So when and then when I went back up to forward in Manchester in the American League, as a center, it was a big appreciation I had for the D in your own zone, especially when it got a little chaotic. Just to be always right there. I didn't necessarily. I kind of stopped worrying about flying out of the out of the D zone with speed, as opposed to maybe being there for just like a six foot pass or helping in a corner to get the puck out. It it. it that you know, it was embarrassing for a little bit playing D for like 30 games because I was getting walked, I was getting blown by sometimes. But in the D zone, it, it helped me, I think, a ton in my career to be kind of relied upon as a centerman for the D. And you know, like you said, it was wasn't going to be a 30-30 guy in the NHL, so I had to figure out a different way, and that that helped a lot. Mm. Yeah, I, I feel that you know, I, I was playing in New Jersey when you got traded to New York, and John Tortorella was there, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. And you carved out a, a great career. But like like you just said, being that safety valve for the D and understanding that concept of support and not, and not being above the puck and just being that outlet is huge for D. And uh, you really did carve out a, a great role, uh, even though you could play up. You, know, you played 
net front on the power play. But also... You don't have uh, to go anywhere. You just... Yeah, but good on draws, responsible in your D zone, kill penalties, block shots. And, um, you know, you've, you've done a great job at that, you know, testament to the 800 games. But what was um, John Tortorella like in, in as far as an influence as, you know, because you just kind of breaking in and being a, a you know everyday player um did he have a big influence on in that yeah, huge 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 it was uh i give him a lot of credit because he took a lot of guys and made them realize that this is the best league in the world and it's going to be harder than you think and then when you push yourself you get past that point of where you're comfortable and you, you think you're working hard but you're not now you are okay so my second year there in New York with Torts, I had probably my best, you know, numbers-wise year. And then that I remember the next camp all over me because he wanted more. He wanted me to take another step. And, I mean, I just, you know, there was times where we'd have these uh, colorful conversations, I would call them. But he, he was, uh, in that regard, he was great because he let you blow off the steam. He let you, you know, and he could understand how you're thinking. And then, obviously, he'd come right back at you. And that's what he did. He pushed me way past what I thought I needed to do to make it and to understand what it was to really be, you know, a, pro, a true pro because I thought it was, even when I was thought I was working hard and I thought it was going to be, okay, now I got it, it doesn't matter. It's every day. got to push a little harder. And that was, uh, it's difficult, man. It's difficult for four years, but look at what he's done with the teams he's had. He's, he's incredible in that regard, and they defend, they play really, really hard, and they won't let their own heads get in the way because he'll, he'll beat it right out of them. And some of the things he must do must be pretty comical too. I mean, yeah. Yes, press conferences. Like we gather around <laughs> in the weight room because you get the TVs and he goes up. And if we lost, it's kind of like, all right, I'm, you know, everyone's feeling pretty terrible, but he goes up and says what he says, and it's just kind of like <laughs> lightens the mood a little. And even when we win and – in a playoff scenario, it's he gives them nothing. It's so funny. Yeah, he's got a lot of Belichick in him, right? Oh, it's so it's great. No, that's awesome. That's, Guys love it. That's great. Yeah. Put words in my mouth. I wish I could give you a explanation about it. I can't. I've already heard enough of that crap already, as far as this is concerned. I, I wonder what would happen if we did it to their two whining stars over there. Kiss my ass if you have. Uh, if you want to write something different, they'll whine about something else over there, won't they? Starting with their two stars. As far as when you were there, though, I remember one summer you really took to breaking down your stride and really working on your yeah. skating, um, you know, for a big guy to be more efficient. And you put the time in there, and um, maybe you could talk about that, uh, the woman that you, you... Yeah, that was uh, Barb Underhill. So Jim Schoenfeld was uh, the assistant GM, and he said, you know, maybe you should do this. I contacted Barb. I drove up, uh, I flew up to Toronto. She was up there and met with her. So she had a video camera, iPad or something, and she's incredible. She's like, this is what you can do. And she just, first of all, she just looked at me. She said, you should be a way better skater. You're stronger. Because I was in the gym a lot. You know, BC, we lift, lift, lift. Like, it was, I was strong. I had to build myself up. I was really skinny. And I got strong, but my stride never really changed. Um, it was fine in college. It was fine in, in prep school, but the game was so fast and so hard every night and 82 of them like I just broke down back was hurting hips were hurting and she she changed the whole thing she you know I don't know how she did it but we spent 27 hours on the ice that summer 
and together. And then she would send me home with these these videos, and we had lots of ice in Foxborough, and I just I just worked on it. And the, for a while, it felt like I was like almost going slower because everything was so much easier. Skating was so much easier, and I was just going by guys, you know, like uh, kind of a deceptive. I don't know if I had more 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 glide to my game. I, my strides were way better, um, and I was nervous at first going into camp. That was my second year in New York because I was worried I was I was going to get sent down to to Hartford. So, but it it changed everything. It's uh, it's still a work in progress because you have to break down a stride you've been doing for 20 years and 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 change it. But I still have her drills. I do it when I'm on the ice, uh, on my own. I look at some of the old emails she has and try to keep up with it but it's that that's another thing that kind of what's a valuable it's a valuable thing too for these you know young kids that that hear like even you're in the nhl like you've made it you've played x amount of games i mean you had 20 goals in the nhl that year in new york and it's like you're still looking to get better right you're still looking to make improvements um or else you know it happens in the blink of an eye that next thing you know you're you're down in hartford or you're down in you know wherever your team's ahl team is you know and and that's an important, you know, thing for these kids um, and parents that are listening that, that, you know, your career's not over if all of a sudden tell, somebody tells you that, you know, you're not a great skater. You know what I mean? It's, no, what can I do to get better? And, and yeah. you know, what can I take from each coach, from, from John Tortorella or from, you know, all these different coaches that you've had and, and, and use those to impact my career, you know? 100%. Um, you know, one other thing just, you know, growing up, because, you know, Mots and I talk about this a lot is, you know, and this brings it back to the youth a little bit, but when you were younger, and obviously we talked about your baseball career and all that type of stuff, but were you a guy that was playing hockey year-round, um, or were you, you know, maybe focused on some more skills um, in the summertime, or will you, you know, put the bag down the basement and, and take a couple months off and we'll see you in t- September type of thing? So we, I, I played as much as I could because I loved it, and my dad, I don't know how he did it, but he, he got me into different tournaments. In the summer, it was mo- it was more baseball than hockey, but it would be, you know, a weekend a month here or there, or mm-hmm. two weekends in a month where we'd go and play in a tournament. There might be a, a one night a week league that we did with just some of the local guys, and it was it was it was in Pilgrim or it was close by, so you'd just go and there wasn't a whole lot of defense. It was just score goals and have fun and feel good about it. Not a whole lot of coaching either. Yeah, but just to stay on the ice maybe once a week, but it wasn't, uh, it was really, it was just fun. You know, we, um, my dad had an hour of ice in, in Pilgrim in the middle rink on Friday nights. And that was like a ton of skill work stuff. He would get, you know, back then it was more like videos and Wayne Gretzky's skill stuff. And you'd work on stuff like that, but it, it always, it came back to always just having a lot of fun. It wasn't grinding it out or doing off ice, dry land. You know, we tried the the Mike Boyle thing, and he, he does a great job. He's done an awesome thing. But I'm, when I was 13, I went once, and I said, I'm going, I, Dad, I'm going to baseball. Like, I'm not I'm not sitting here pulling ropes and, and putting cleats <laughs> on for – there's no ball out here. There's no game. There's just just work out. I'm not doing that. Yeah. And, you know, I got looked at like, hey, that's not that's not how it is. got to work out. got to work out at 13. I said, well, I'm, I'm just not going to do it. All set. When the puck drops, I'll win. But you, yeah. you're not – like, I'm not going to – I mean, and looking back, I was probably right. My dad was probably like, all right, screw it. You don't have to do it. Yeah. But it was, yeah, like we did a little bit, but yeah, like you said, it was baseball. It was, uh, I played football at the end of the summer. It was football. So I'm out running. My dad made me do that. It wasn't as fun, but I got to be the running back. So I had the ball the whole game and that's oh, what I wanted some, to do. Run some people over. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I got beat up, dude. <laughs> wasn't wasn't very good at football. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I mean, I think that's part of the prep school too, right? Is you know, you yeah. you eventually um, went to Saint Sebastian's. Um, you know, did you play multi sports there too? Yeah, I, I had two years of football and mm. four years of baseball, along with the hockey. <clears throat> um, I remember we I, I'd hurt my shoulders a couple times playing football. And my dad's like, you know, that's that's enough. I'm like, I don't really. Yeah, need you're not to be that doing into it. Yeah. I don't love it. I'm not gonna. And I missed it a little just when the guys came and played. But it's eight eight games a, a year, really. So um, to get your body to play just abused. JV soccer just to get out and kick a ball around. <laughs> but, um, by that point, we were doing some, you know, this fall league stuff and showcases, and and hockey was starting to take over at you know 16 years old. But it was a uh, yeah, that was that was fun. That ISL was a fun league. Yeah, that was a uh, probably the worst loss I ever had in my life was that one nothing loss to Saint Sebs up in uh, the Salem Ice Center. One nothing, uh, Cushing. We were it was my junior year, so it would have been what your sophomore, sophomore year. year. Yeah. Yep. My junior year, we lost one nothing to Saint Sebs. Our only loss of the season. Yep. It was uh, who got the goal? John Toffee from Joe Rooney. Yeah, Dave Cassiola played out of his mind. I think the USHR had us losing like eight to three. Cassiola was unbelievable, unbelievable in that game. It was insane. Were you a dash? Most likely. <laughs> I mean, odds are, odds are, I was caught somewhere. Probably got lost in the corner. Yeah, somewhere. your analytics were off the charts. I think. <laughs> yeah, must have had fifteen shots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, I'd like to talk about you uh, and your pro career being a valuable asset for teams that are looking to make a playoff run so you know you played for a few teams but ultimately when a team isn't in the playoff hunt and teams are shopping uh your name always came up so that's you know a testament to your you know value that you can add to a team make it uh, a lineup deeper again going back to the stuff that um you know you were doing to to kind of niche out your role in the nhl taking face-offs being reliable playing the game the right way so Maybe just talk about some of those trade deadline uh, times and and because uh, it's 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 different. I got traded yeah. uh, a couple times, but um, you know, at one point I was just a seventh defenseman, suitcase. You know, getting sent back the great yeah. locker room guy though. Yeah, intangible locker room guy. Yeah, right. But uh, always brought the um, old spice and stuff like that. You know, to, yeah, could run. A took really, care of the boys. <laughs> could run a great Masters pool. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, but those, you know, maybe the phone calls or whatever and, and finding out where you're going and kind of the adjustment that it takes to get into a new locker room. Yeah, the, fir- the first one was really hard. The first one was uh, I was in Tampa. We just went to the cup finals, and the next year we went to the conference finals and had the same team, but we got crushed with injuries. It was tough. And we played, you know, I think it was 42 playoff games in, in two years. So we, we, we weren't doing great. Uh, Eiserman brought me in probably two weeks before the deadline just to talk to me, saying this is where we're at with the team, and you know it was a maybe we'll extend you, but we might trade you. I don't know what we're gonna do, and it was that was our conversation then because when it gets closer to the deadline, I'm sure the GMs are busy. So I I, I really uh, respected that and appreciated that, and then the call came and I was devastated. Like we had a great group in Tampa. We I mean I loved it there. The wife loved it there. We won a lot of games, and that year we just couldn't. Teams, yeah. yeah, we couldn't. We couldn't get it. Uh, couldn't couldn't get it on the tracks for whatever reason. And I remember we lost to Calgary, and then um, on a Monday, and then on Wednesday we were playing Ottawa. But the deadline was coming up, 
after we lost to Calgary, they traded Bishop, our goalie, and I knew it was coming. And still, that call was tough because it was a lot of different places you might go. And I went to I ended up going to Toronto, and I didn't know anyone on the team. And, Which is weird. And yeah, my wife's a, seven months pregnant, uh, oh, and man. I got a little boy, and it was just hard. It was hard to leave. I didn't know anyone. I had to connect flights to get out to San Jose because that's where they were, and it was like for like a day and a half, I don't have a team. I don't know these guys. I said bye to those guys, and it's difficult. And then I got there, and I was playing on the, you know, because of all the injuries, I was on the first line playing wing in Tampa, and I went, you know, right to the fourth line to kill penalties and wasn't really allowed to cross the red line. I'd get off the ice, but it was uh, it was a roll. So I tried to embrace that. We ended up getting into the playoffs in Toronto, which ended up being a ton of fun. Just the city, you know. I'm, I didn't drive anywhere in the city, so I walked, and people are just kind of rooting you on. And it was a cool experience, definitely. And then uh, the next time I got traded was Nashville, and that was awesome because you know we were out early in in Jersey, and I just wanted a chance to 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 get to go on a run again because it's the best best thing you can do those playoff runs are they're insane man guys are going through stuff just watching guys play through things and being in the rooms on the road and stuff like that playing cards all that stuff's the best so it was it, i was excited about that one because it was a great chance to get another crack at it time in jersey you know you're talking about personal stuff and winning the bill masters masterton uh trophy for qualities of perseverance sportsmanship and dedication to hockey if you want to just uh you know <laughs> Touch on it. I, I know it could be pretty personal, yeah, but uh, I mean, know. it was the, it's you know, it's out, everybody's. It's I'm kind of open with it because I was, and and people go through stuff, and that's the September of 2017 was the worst month, you know, in my life. I think really just because of I got diagnosed with leukemia, and then a couple of weeks later, my son had a really rare uh, malformation in his jaw, which he's pretty much, I mean, hopefully out of the woods with now, but I'm talking about two and a half, three years of maybe more now, three years of uh, him just getting surgeries and stuff like that. And that year I was flying to Boston Children's and coming back in sweatpants to play the game. And Heinze, John Hines was the coach. Guy's unbelievable, man. He let me play. He said, you know, if you want to stay there, stay there. I said, well, do you need me? Do you want me to play? He goes, well, I have you in if you want to play. And I'd show up um, jumping in the cold tub because he'd sleeping on a hospital bed. Um, and the group of guys were unbelievable too. No one really asked questions. No one really said anything that I was missing meetings and stuff like that. They knew exactly what was going on. They, they gave me a ton of support. I didn't even know these guys, like a lot of them. I, I signed a deal in the summer and then I show up and I, I can't do, I can't do, you know, 10 pull-ups anymore all of a sudden because I, my, my body doesn't work. I don't know what was going on. So it was tough, but uh, the wife held the family together pretty good. She let me go and play. She was with Declan in the hospital on, on a lot of occasions, and then um, and Halsey got hurt, and there was a call to, to kind of go down to Tampa for the All-Star game, which was really cool. And I told him, I, I don't, you know, I don't think I can. I have a Declan has a surgery, and the wife called me, and then she called the team said he's going he's playing and my dad came down with me and she stayed and sent me a video of Declan in the hospital watching it was because uh, he was out of his shirt out of his surgery everything was good um, it was uh, it was a really really memorable year we made the playoffs um, got to watch Taylor Hall every night which was awesome yeah he was that on year fire, was incredible yeah. but yeah I mean it was 
Yeah, one of the more emotional yeah, goals. Yeah. Uh, hockey fights can't tonight, and oh, you, you, yeah. you, you, you pop a goal. I mean, I got chills watching it, so can't imagine what was going through your your mind and your family's yeah. mind. Yeah, it's awesome. And the uh, and and you were no slouch in the uh, the. What's it called? Target shooting too down there. The easiest I remember, one I missed. The top, I know. You know it's unbelievable. Top like, left. I hit the post. I thought I was going to take it home. You looked like Borky back in the day. Brock Besser, that jerk. <laughs> <laughs> Handsome devil too. Jeepers. Yeah. He's, <laughs> Hillary wow. Knight goes first and he rips it up. You know, she's like a. I beat her by like a, a hundredth of a second or something. Yeah. And she went first. I didn't want to go. <laughs> That's the most nervous I've ever been in hockey. <laughs> Uh, All eyes on you, yeah. That's awesome. I'm not going to do the fastest lap, though. No. Oh, my goodness. I remember in the AHL, you know, it was an AHL All-Star uh, skills competition, and they put me in the two worst events, fastest skater and hottest shot for me. <laughs> they didn't I, check the game notes? No, I, like, I had a broken twig. I'm like, what? <laughs> the guy before me shot at, like, 99, and, like, everyone's, like, cheering. I, like, pop a 87 at the, at the target gun or whatever. You know, like, ooh. Yeah, isn't there a saucer pass competition here? <laughs> What's going on here? Oh. Should have missed an ad on purpose. Don't want to <laughs> do the upgrades. Yeah, no, I flip. think, Bri, one of the, the, the biggest things that, one of the words I heard you say the most here, especially when it came to, like, your youth hockey and all that type of stuff, was uh, was fun. Something that I think, like, a lot of these people listening need to hear. Like, you you, were, you grew up loving the game and had fun with it, and, and you know, you didn't feel, I mean, I know your parents personally, and, and I know the background that you come from, and... I guarantee at no point in your life was your father looking at you saying, you better get a scholarship to Boston College or you better go play in the NHL and this, that, and the other thing. You know what I mean? You just kind of went out and had fun. I think a lot of parents these days kind of lose sight of that stuff. Yeah, it's it's so hard. And, and the higher you go, it's it's even harder. So if it's not fun, you can't do, you can't do it. Like, mm-hmm. I don't care. I mean, who you are. It's, it's just, and, and for my dad and my mom, if I got a bad grade... They were taking hockey away. I missed a practice once because I got a C or something, or and I'm you know I'm young, so they don't even give C's out when you're that young, right? So it's just like <laughs> tough to do. And I was like, oh my goodness, they're gonna take that away. I better you know. So it was uh, my dad sat me down once and said something like, if you don't do well in school, like what are you gonna do? Because you know, who makes the NHL really? And I said, well, I'm gonna make it. And he said, well, I mean. You got to do well in school. Like, come on. Yeah. No, you're not. Basically, kidding. and I was like, yeah, you know. And and for me, I just said, oh, I'm gonna show them. But then I, had, you know, I had to do well in school and all that. But it, it was uh, it was always always fun. And the only time he would get mad is when we would drive far, and I, he's not with his other kids, and my mom's probably giving it to him for being away from home all the time, just with me in hockey tournaments. And I wouldn't show up, and I would kind of be dogging it. And I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be having fun, and I wouldn't even be trying. I'd just waste everybody's time, really. And that that was the only time he was upset. It was not if we lost, not if I didn't have a great game, but I was working through things. Like it, it, it was only when he was like, you're wasting my time. You're wasting your – what are we doing here? Yeah. You're not even going to enjoy this. A couple this. extra slashing penalties. Yeah, and like I'm yelling at the ref. He'd get mad at me if I was yelling at the ref, too. Yeah, that was – you know, respect was big. But th- that was that was his thing. He He provided me the opportunity to play. My mom provided me the opportunity to play because she was at home bearing the brunt of all the other kids. And I I got to do it. I got to do it as much as I wanted to do it, which was it was so awesome for me. He'd say, do you want to do this tournament in the summer? He'd always ask, and I'd say, yeah, absolutely. Who you got playing? Who's on the team? This and that. And that was – it was never like you have to do this ever, which was great, I think. I mean, looking back, it's incredible. And parenting is – I'm not a parent expert, but I think it's probably different every generation, right, because it gets more – everybody's – 
smaller families, big families like mine aren't really like, but you get, you get one or two kids and then you want them to do as good as they can. And even, even with the other stuff, I mean, parents are always involved in everything now just because it has to be that way. But when they're out on the field or they're out on the ice, just let them go and have fun and they'll figure it out. And things happen, but everybody's going to be safe. As long as everybody's safe, let them enjoy it and have so much fun because you can't coach your kid up to make something unless they want to do it. Yeah, we were talking about earlier, one of the new rules is with with um, the pandemic going on and everything that, you know, one parent's only going to be allowed in the rink and all that type of stuff. And maybe it's a good thing, you know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe parents aren't going to feel the pressure of, of that extra parent being there or I really got to perform today. And like you said, I just bring it back to go out and have fun, yeah. you know, go out and, and, and enjoy it. And kids shouldn't be feeling the pressure and squeezing their stick tight because they haven't scored in two games. That shouldn't even be on their radar. We, we'll put it this way. We... We say it in our locker room for playoff games and stuff. Hey, it's fun. This is this is awesome. We get to do this. This is fun stuff. It's the best. So if we're doing that, if they're kids, it's got to be fun. Absolutely. Yeah, and ho- hopefully the unfair expectations of parents kind of go by the wayside <laughs> with one parent in, one parent out, but you never know. I mean, you never know. Well, if yeah. they didn't make it, they're not going to make it now through their kid. Just let the kid right, do it. You, yeah. you, you got cut. You didn't make right. it. Yeah, you're a bum. <laughs> uh, I just had one more thing just to, you know, whatever, and I know, March, you, you might have a couple more, but obviously you were a highly touted prospect growing up, and, and, and I'm sure major junior teams looked at you because of your size and strength and stuff like that, and obviously other hockey schools. Uh, talk to us a little bit about, like, you know, what was, why did you choose BC? I, I just wanted, I wanted to go there. It was one, I mean, you just, you know, as kids, you pick the, you pick the team. I think you want to fall in Monta's footsteps. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I love. I wore number three in high school. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, yeah. We you go to the bean pot, you pick a team, right? You go to the hockey east, you'd see you pick a team, and um, definitely just wanted to go to hockey east. Uh, wasn't really. I didn't really want to do the major junior thing at all. I thought, you know, again, still school is probably important. You never know, and it's not really. Nothing's guaranteed, even if you are drafted. So, yeah, I, I loved BC. I loved. I took a tour of the campus as a sophomore with Joe Rooney after we won. After we won the ISL, uh, sorry, New England Championship. We Cushing. We talked about. Uh, that. I, I think, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, we can revisit. It. Minus one. Yeah, end of. <laughs> yeah, it was just that was the place I wanted to go. That was my college team, and uh, man, I was pretty lucky to go there. Good stuff. As you can tell. Uh, our guest here, Brian Bull, has a depth, great person, um, obviously an awesome hockey player and has uh, done a great job at, at navigating the NHL at a high level. Um, so we want to thank you for coming on and uh, best of luck next year and, and moving forward, brother. Thanks. Congrats on the podcast. This will be good. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, thank you. Big thank you to Brian Boyle, uh, great guest. I think some unbelievable stories and give some great perspective of uh, his path to the NHL along with every year that he's been involved in the game. Um, He's truly had a special career and, and, and a great guy, great guy, local guy. For next episode, if you have questions about coaching and all that type of stuff, what we're going to try to do is pick a couple every episode and go through those, and, and we can share some uh, rink shrink expertise with our listeners. Mots? A little preview for next episode. Uh, we want to get into some season expectations with the rink shrinks, some non-negotiable items like a checklist for not only player but also parent, You know, kind of our view on what we like to 
talk about with our kids and parents you know, leading into a season. And uh, there's a lot of good content there, Brian. Yeah, no, it'll be a good one. And uh, thanks for listening. Thanks again to Brian Boyle. Again, we'll, uh, we'll see you soon.